Welcome to another episode of Becoming DO. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's get into it. Happy New Year, guys. Uh, thank you and uh, welcome again to another episode of Becoming DO. I just want to wish everybody a Happy New Year. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. I was going to release this or record this episode on a Friday, but a lot was going on with like traveling and trying to settle in to school well, for the new semester. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, well, today I think uh, I wanted to start a series called What We Eat uh, because recently I just came back from Germany. Uh, spent Christmas with my family in Germany and <laughs> this is gonna sound funny but while in Germany I I saw that I didn't see a lot of people who you would consider like overweight or obese while in Germany throughout my travels I even went to a different country spent some time in Switzerland and didn't see a single person that you would consider overweight or obese so I started thinking about how we have an uh, increase in prevalence of obesity, diabetes, GI disease in the Western world, mainly in the U.S., um, mostly in the U.S., unfortunately. So on, on this episode, I just wanted to navigate exactly what is in our food, and uh, hopefully I'm going to make it a series. and. If any of you have uh, or want to do uh, an episode and discuss this, you're obviously welcome. I'm going to have uh, some people and we're going to discuss some other stuff. Uh, but today, I think uh, I just wanted to share a few statistics which you guys have found about uh, our diet. Uh, apparently, uh, processed foods make up 70% of the U.S. diets and... But don't want to ask them what exactly is a processed food. A processed food is basically any food that has been altered from its natural states. But I think whenever we think processed food, because if you cook a food, it, it is processed. But I'm thinking more high processed foods, foods that you've added like colors, flavoring, texturing agents, like sugar, high fructose corn syrup, which is obviously one of our main focus of our episodes today. And another stats that was very, very disturbing was that 41% of Americans, adults, are obese. And this does not even include the childhood obesity problem we have here in the United States. And the fact that 41% of Americans are obese is alarming. I don't know if... I know a percentage of people will be considered overweight, but 41% is still an alarming number. And we know that obesity comes with a whole lot of other problems. And obviously, obesity, there are other factors that are involved in obesity. You know, the societal factors, socioeconomical factors, biological factors, genetic factors, environmental factors that, you know, affect or cause someone to be obese. But I guess today we're more focused on the socioeconomic or this series to be focused on the socioeconomic and basically what we eat 
And today's episode will be mainly focused on what is in our foods or the main ingredients in our food. And I wanted to focus heavily or discuss more on high fructose corn syrup, which um, I don't know if you guys know this, but if anyone has a sweet tooth or anybody that likes uh, anything sweet or basically any processed food, if you look at, pick up any food and on the shelf in the U.S. and you look at the ingredients, I think about 90% of the foods here in the U.S. has high fructose corn syrup. And that's for a variety of reasons. But let's 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 you know step back a little bit and look at the history of high fructose corn syrup and how it became one of the mainstays in US diet and processing of US foods. Well long before high fructose corn syrup was discovered, um, sugar from sugarcane was the main sweetener that people used in their diets back in the day. But um, we all know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there's obviously a dark history between sugarcane and slavery and the rise of the British Empire and colonization. But the reason why South America was colonized, uh, part of the reason why they have a lot of... There's just a very dark history when it comes to like sugarcane and the history of sugar. And maybe one day we're going to cover it. But now just focus on... Um, High fructose corn syrup and sugars in processed foods. And with the abolishment of slavery and obviously with the increase in the world population and as a result, the increase in the demand of sugar nationally, you had a, there was an increased need for sweetness or for an alternative. And then with that increased need, you also have the rise of high fructose corn syrup, which was discovered by uh, Richard Marshall and L. Coy in the year 1957. They, they created an enzyme known as glucose isomerase, and from there, they were able to somehow extract um, syrup from the, as a byproduct of corn. And because of how inexpensive it was, and with the increased demand of sugar and like alternative sweeter sweetness and back then you couldn't really tell the difference between sh sugar and high fructose corn because if you go down to the basic chemistry it's fructose and glucose which is very similar in their in their structures chemically so the taste not far off as well so because of how inexpensive it was to produce high fructose corn syrup, it largely replaced uh, sugars made from sugar canes. And obviously with the high fructose corn syrup being a byproduct of corn, which was largely grown in the United States, it became a, a, a giant of an industry. Right now it stands to be, I think, $86 billion dollars. That's how big the industry of uh, high fructose corn syrup is. And it's no longer just used in foods now. It's used in the fuels, in basically a lot of stuff. You could find high fructose corn syrup in a lot of stuff. But uh, today we're focused more on it being in our diets and our foods. And 
obviously one of the reasons why it's it's used is because of how cheap it is and f funny enough it's very very good in increasing the shelf life of a lot of the products that are used in high in make um that high fructose corn syrup are used to make so because of the increased shelf life and how obviously in the united states the mass production of, of foods to accommodate our massive uh, growing population and how important it, um, increased shelf life in a product it is in today's market because we're no longer used to going to you know your local farmer to get like your foods it's more convenient to go to your grocery to get your food also cheaper uh, to produce as well so high fructose corn syrup largely replaced sugar and it's a mainstay in uh, our diet now because given how important it is to our economy i don't see us doing anything in terms of like replacing it but i actually wanted to focus on obviously the, the side effects or the negative parts of of high fructose corn syrup and uh, one of the main main negative side effects of high fructose corn syrup is there is a correlation between uh, excess consumption of foods that are, are high in high fructose corn syrup and alcohol fatty liver disease or NASH for a lot of my medical colleagues. And about 25% of adults in the U.S. have NASH or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And this is largely because the liver so responsible for the breakdown of fructose which is the main ingredient in high fructose corn syrup as compared to glucose we could be break broken down by our muscles by our liver many cells are capable of glycolysis but fructose on its own is mainly broken down by the liver so when you consume excess amounts of fructose which is in present in high fructose corn syrup and your liver is not able to break it down because obviously this takes time because your liver is also important for other functions in your body when you have that you have accumulation of of obviously fructose in your liver resulting in possibly fibrosis cirrhosis not on alcoholic fatty liver disease especially if you're eating excess of fructose and it's being broken down and converted into fat, which is stored in your liver. So that is one of the main side effects of high fructose corn syrup. Um, another thing is the diabetes. Because glucose and fructose, it's a very interesting research that your body, in terms of insulin production, responds differently to glucose as compared to fructose because obviously the, the fr fructose channels in your body are very very different from the glucose channels in your body so excess consumption of high fructose corn syrup or foods that have excess amount of high fructose corn syrup could also lead to an increase in insulin resistance which is one of the main reasons why we have diabetes in this country another thing is heart disease because high fructose corn syrup is also being related to increased cholesterol production, especially because 
I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this. Um, go, go to this uh, research I found um, done by Yale School of Medicine that found that your glucose and fructose affect the part of your brain that's responsible for satiety or feeling full differently. So glucose increases um, the blood flow to the hypothalamus, which releases leptin, which is responsible for satiety. And the release of leptin is not as profound as it is when you eat um, glucose as compared to when you eat fructose. So when you eat fructose of or foods that are very that contain high amount of high fructose corn syrup, which is basically concentrated fructose, you have or it has a different effect on satiety or feeling full. That is why most people when they eat um, fast food or junk food after a couple of hours they're hungry again, you know, because the effect of satiety is completely different. And when you have effects like that, and because satiety is very, very important in terms of controlling our diets and obesity, because the more you eat, obviously, the more your body processes the food, resulting to accumulation of fat. And with the accumulation of fat and high production of cholesterol, it leads to more heart disease or cardiovascular disease. So you can see the progression of eating high fructose corn syrup to its effect on satiety, to its effect on obesity and other metabolic syndrome and diseases. So I guess I'd, I say this just to say that it's it's funny how um, we see a increase in the rise of our processed foods and how over the years we see an increase in heart disease, in obesity, in diabetes, and it's really important that we watch what we eat. Moving into my second um, topic of discussion, which is vegetable oil. And when I was reading about this and doing the research, I it was very, very fascinating because to see the, the history and progression of what we know now as... Um, commercial vegetable cooking oil or oils that we use to cook or fried foods. Um, interestingly enough, um, vegetable oil, before what we know now as commercial vegetable oil, your sesame seed oil, your olive oil, originally prior to, to this, the our ancestors or, or people back then used a lot of fat to cook, animal fat, your lards, you know. So fat from animals was used in meal preparation. And over time, it, it progressed to more cottonseed oil, which is an oil made, as a, made from the byproduct of cottonseeds, which was used in meal preparation. And I think in the 1800s, a man named Thomas Hodnett, he found a way to extract oil from corn byproducts. You know, tying back to how important corn is in the U.S. I think the other day I was talking to a friend about how crucial corn is in every single thing we do in the U.S. and our meals and like, corn is basically everywhere. But back to this. 
So the oil extracted from, from corn was used as cooking oil until 1911 when Procter and Gabble somehow crystallized um, cottonseed oil and the first largely available commercial cooking oil, Crisco, was founded. And basically, it was advertised everywhere as like the new, newest ingredients used to cook. It was largely used to replace animal fat. It was touted as like new healthy thing because around that time, there was a a war you would say against um, the consumption of fat or saturated fat. Uh, a man named Ansel Keys, a physiologist, he published what was known as the seven country hypothesis. And basically in his hypothesis, he showed the coloration between the consumption of fat and heart disease. But the more research you do into his study, the more you find that he it was a, basically a sham study because he excluded a lot of other countries that didn't really agree with his stats. So he excluded most of those stats from other countries and just focused on the seven countries that agreed with this hypothesis. So it was a sham study and people ran with it and people switched over from consumption of fat or saturated fat to more unsaturated fat found in your vegetable oil. And around this time, there was now an increased prevalence of heart disease. And in 1922, 24, I mean, the AHA, the American Heart Association was founded. And it wasn't really funded as much because heart disease, although it was prevalent, it wasn't a major problem yet. Then 1995, um, Dwight Eisenhower, one of the presidents of the United States, he had a heart attack. And after his heart attack, there was a larger spotlight on heart disease and cardiovascular um, disease as a whole. And people were trying to find what exactly is the cause of cardiovascular disease. Because prior to this, or prior to the introduction of vegetable oil, there wasn't really a lot of reported heart disease. So in 1961, the AHA, the American Heart Association, promoted unsaturated fat found in vegetable oil, or what we know as edible oil. And funny enough, if you look at the, the history of the AHA, Crisco, which is or Procter & Gamble, which is the, the company that founded uh, Crisco, crystallized cottonseed oil, funded the AHA. So it's funny that the AHA promoted unsaturated fat as like the more healthier option for cooking when it was funded by a company that makes unsaturated fat. But hey, I'm not going to go into that deeply because this is, I, I'm just saying like it is, it does sound shady, but hey, what I know. And obviously now vegetable oil or edible oil is now basically a hundred billion dollar industry. It's found everywhere. Like most of the fatty f um, fast food joints use vegetable oil to cook. A lot of people use vegetable oil to cook. So 
And obviously, there have been a lot of research saying how healthy it is for people to consume vegetable oil, and it's not undisputed. And there are benefits to eating vegetable oil. But I think what a lot of people don't know is the side effects or the dangers of vegetable oil as a whole. And that's what, through my research, I kind of discovered. So I'm going to mention um, two researchers, actually three main researchers and the research they did. And I would encourage you to do your own research, obviously, and look into these guys. Um, one of them is Dr. Chris Kroby. Um, and last name Kroby is K-R-O-B-B-E. He's the author of Omega-6 Apocalypse, and he's a professor at UT Southwestern. And basically his research... What he discovered was that the omega-6, which is like a, a huge component of a vegetable oil, omega-6 or fatty acid, leads to obesity. And obviously he has a lot more research in terms of like the trends between the use of vegetable oil and the increased prevalence of cardiovascular heart disease, cancer, diabetes in most of countries like Japan, the US, and I think another country in Europe. And then you also have a, a research done by a man named Dr. Ivan Franz. He did the research back in the 90s. It's called, the study is called the Minnesota Connery Survey. So what he did basically, he found two groups of people. One of them were on a, a diet cooked from vegetable oil and the other was on a diet cooked from animal oil or animal fat. And what he found out was that the people that were on the vegetable um, fat diet had a lower life expectancy. And it, it, it's funny per se, because the question is why? Because obviously unsaturated fat, it's good for you. It reduces your risk of a C CHV like cardiovascular heart disease. So it's like why exactly is vegetable oil an issue? And I think one of the main reasons why is because of the fact that vegetable oil have an increased risk of oxidation. And when vegetable oil goes undergoes oxidation, the byproduct of the oxidation of vegetable oil is what is actually very, very dangerous to us. Um, one of the main byproducts between being aldehyde and another one being um, hydro hydroxyl hydroxyl or four HNE. Forgive my pronunciation. So, these two byproducts, which is like mainly researched, um, hydrox hydroxyl which is a byproduct of of omega six pure unsaturated fatty acid found in vegetable oil. What 4-HNE does, it induces the apoptic pathways in cell. Basically causes cell stress and cell destruction because of the excess accumulation of 4-HNE in cells. And basically leads to like um, degradation of cells, which as in, in turn leads to cardiovascular heart disease, cancer, metabolic syndrome, even Alzheimer's. Funny enough, a researcher named 
Tsumori Yamashi Yamashima <laughs> Tsumori Yamashima he did a research on vegetable oil and 4-HNE and he linked it to increased in Alzheimer's and it has something to do with the APOE um, and obviously accumulation of of 4-HNE in mitochondria which is basically your power cell, your powerhouse of your cell and how it really affects the function of the mitochondria leading to Alzheimer's. It's a very, it's a very, very interesting research, which I need to look more into, but this research was also backed by a study done in Temple University that linked um, the use of canola oil to worsen memory and learning abilities in mice. So the byproduct of vegetable oil, which comes as a result of oxidation, is very, very bad to us. And one of the fastest way that vegetable oil gets oxidized is through heat, heating. So a lot of fried foods that we eat a lot of the ways that like vegetable oil is being processed because of the excess heat, because of how you get vegetable oil. Like most of the vegetable oil you already have on shelf are already oxidized because of the certain exposure to temperature. So it just kind of makes me question why um, when you see a an increased risk or if you see researchers like this that shows risk of use of vegetable oil to cardiovascular disease and to cancers and to metabolic syndrome and possible Alzheimer's why they're not doing a lot more research into this and why people are not being like informed about the risk of eating fatty foods you see the explosion of uh, of chains like your mcdonald's your burger kings you have a lot of like fast food restaurants all over the countries and a lot of things on their menu are all fried foods that are fried with vegetable oil and it's obviously very 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 sad that we have it's it's an epidemic and hopefully in another episode we're going to discuss how the poor in, in the u.s are the ones that suffer the brunt of this because eating healthy it's become so expensive so they're left with no other choice but to eat a lot of unhealthy fast foods which are killing them and as a result, costing the healthcare system billions of dollars and costing people to be sick. And it's, it's, it's really, really sad. So I, I encourage you guys to do your own research. Obviously, like I said, uh, this is a research done by Dr. Chris Crowby, Dr. Iron Friends, and Dr. Tesumori Yamashima. Uh, you can look into them. I'll have um, their names um, linked in 
the episode Q&A because that's another thing I was going to discuss um, at the end of each episode. I'm going to be having a Q&A where I just want to have an open discussion and allow people to basically engage and give me feedbacks on like on what they think for each episode because I want to feel like we're having a discussion, you know, and I'm talking to you and you're listening and you're able to give me feedback on what you think too because the only way we would learn is by you know having conversations about certain things so there's going to be a q a at the end of this episode free free to answer free free to contact me as well i think there's going to be a link for video mess or voice message if you want to send me one so i'm hoping to continue this series on what we eat because I think it's very, very important because I do feel like the way we're going as a nation and sadly enough, this, this is also affecting not only the first world countries but the developing countries as well because the rate of obesity, diabetes is so increasing in non-developed countries like Nigeria from where I'm from and other countries in Africa, you see the rate of childhood obesity also going up there as well. So it's it's an issue that we have to address at least talk about and see if we could find solutions so thank you guys for listening um i hope you come back next week i hope you have a great year um for those of you starting a new rotation i hope you have an amazing four months or eight i don't know how long it is and like I said, if you have any questions, free feed to ask. And thank you again for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Becoming TO. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You guys have a great day. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Becoming Dio. I'm here with my homie. <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. up? Okay, so today I wanted to talk about vaccinations. Because I've seen the post on Twitter with um, it was this lady that talked about her side effects of Pfizer, and she was like shaking, having a seizure and stuff. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And like you know, like with the news of like a bunch of um football players that have been not just football players but athletes as a whole just like passing out right in the middle of the field and having like heart issues and stuff, yeah. just like dying and of like just straight up just like passing out right in the middle of the field. Which is kind of crazy though. That a lot of anti vaxxers are just like hooked onto that and like said, but it's definitely the COVID vaccine. Yeah. That's causing people to die. I mean there is reports out there that the COVID vaccine does cause like myocarditis. I think that yeah, in in some cases that's been reported, but I feel like a lot of the vaccine stuff, it's like there's like one in a hundred thousand cases of this, and people like freak out about it. But it's like think about all the lives that are being saved from the vaccine, and it's like getting myocarditis is like a big deal but 
I'd rather have that and not die from COVID, you know? Right. Well, before we just go, like, obviously in-depth into, like, anti-vaccines and stuff, like, so what is your understanding of what a vaccine is? Or, like, how do you explain it to someone that's just, like, a layman that's, like, doesn't know what it is? Okay, like, explain vaccines to me like I'm an eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think something that a lot of people don't understand is that it's, like, giving you the virus or whatever and like then it it causes you to get sick and then you get better which is like a half truth and i mean obviously we take immunology and learn about this stuff but i'm not an expert on immunology either but basically the vaccine is giving you like a very small amount of whatever it's vaccinating you against and usually it's like a killed or an activated form of that or the mRNA. Yeah. And I mean, there's only like the COVID vaccine that's like the mRNA right now, yeah, right? No, I think so. But um, so it's introducing something into your body that your body can then use its immune system to like build up a defense towards that. So it's going to like make a- antigens for, for that specifically. And then your body will have like memory B and T cells that like are able to be activated when you do encounter that in real in the real world right it's funny enough i was like looking at the history of vaccinations and this guy's name edward jenner came up apparently he's like known for vaccination because he coined the term like vaccines and something i didn't know was that like the, the word vac is latin for cow yeah the, the what is it cow, cow, cow pox, pox? Yeah. yeah so apparently like this is like when people talk about like the history of vaccine. Like he thought that like milkmaids, people that milked like cows back in the day, like they got like cowpox, which was like a, a lesser version of smallpox, which was like the big mm-hmm. like virus that killed a bunch of people back in the day, in the 17th century. And he took like the scabs from the cowpox of this milkmaid, which they like, dried it out, and then he inoculated like. Oh, wasn't it his own son or something like I, I was, that? I'm not sure. I think, it was he, his, own I think son. it was his own son. Yeah. And then, like, obviously, a couple days later, the, the, apparently the kid did get sick but got better, mm-hmm. which is normal with some vaccination, especially if it's, like, a live vaccine, right? <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, like, it's causing an immune response. Right. So you're going to get a fever. You're going to get symptoms of, you know, It'll seem like you are getting sick from yeah. the vaccine, but that's what you want. You want to get a fever. You want to, like, have a reaction to it because that means that your immune system is doing what it should be doing, so that when you actually encounter it, you're already you've already built a defense towards it. Right. Well, I just think of, like, obviously, like when the kid got sick and then he tried it with smallpox, mm-hmm. and now thanks to like his technique and his experiment that like smallpox is now globally eradicated you now because of the drives like eradicate smallpox i think polio too to some degree um in the u.s but yeah. not in other countries right well i just think like, it's kind of like the concept of like vaccinations at least back to what it was back or like in the day. like in the united states we don't give the bcg vaccine but other countries do yeah because it's just not like something that we like really are as like worried about getting but yeah but like the concept is like very interesting because if you think about it like 
at least for the, the first known documented like inoculation was apparently back in way back in 1700s where like asian people took mm. um the flakes of of smallpox grind it up after days of like drying out or heating in and then literally stuffed it up the noses of healthy people oh gosh yeah and because you know like when we talk about like modern medicine and like the practice of medicine it, it dates far back to like asian culture mm-hmm. like asian culture like in west africa like most of what we consider modern medicine now like talk about being like which is like the dark side of medicine a lot of people don't talk about how people that are accredited with certain things in medicine yeah actually not the people that like discovered it mm-hmm. which is like i mean we all know that's how history is you know <laughs> history written by people that actually like any them... anything in science i feel like that's kind of the name of the game it's yeah. not really who discovers it but who like is able to publicly announce it right and then like i guess like that's the, like bring us forward like to to covid vax um to covid as like the virus when it, it, it went like big you know mm-hmm. 2020 2019 right well it the first reported cases were in like december of 2019 but when it was like bad it was 2020 right kind of crazy like how fast at least this is like the cases most anti-vaxxers make mm-hmm. about how fast the vaccination was readily available i think it was like a couple months after the virus was like i think it was like a year because i don't think people like people in healthcare started getting it in like january of 2021 right. or something like that but i mean it's not like we're inventing the wheel with this like we already know what we're doing right so it wasn't like that unfeasible that the smartest people in the world working on this wouldn't be able to figure it out how to how to make a vaccine right so tell me like because i think i know like back then we had a whole argument about this (laughs) about the covid vaccine yeah mri um, versus like when you didn't want to take it i was i was so against it let me just be honest (laughs) i was not for taking the vaccine because obviously like i was like yeah this a bit it's it's too quick like i think part of it part of the thing for me was like we don't know the side effects of either or like the long-term effects of like either thing. Yeah. But I'd rather like take a vaccine and have like some mild side effects. I mean, most people like I didn't really have a bad reaction to either vaccine, but, and I had Pfizer both times, but like, I'm pretty sure my husband had Moderna and he like was out. Like it, it dropped him for like the weekend. He, so he like, was pretty sick but he'd already gotten covid so i don't know if that had anything to do with it i didn't get sick until july of this year like that was the first time i had covid and you thought you had immunity to it before well yeah i had gotten my two vaccines and the booster and i'd been around him and you that had gotten sick yeah so i think that just goes to show how much this virus has mutated since you know it first was like a native like illness because yeah. now th- did you hear they're calling the new variant kraken interesting yeah like omicron's variant is kraken i wonder like, who comes up with it why names. would you name it something like <laughs> so scary but, but it also makes me question though because like 
I think about someone like you that's had like the two vaccines plus the booster, right? Yeah, I and you still I should have up... gotten my other booster like this Christmas time, but I don't want to get it right before I went home um, and like be sick while I was like flying home. But you still ended up being sick after the vaccine. Oh, that was before. Yeah, so like I got the first one and the second one in like December and March or something like that, and then I got my booster in like. I don't know, a year after that or so, whenever, like, we could get the booster again, and then, like, a year after I had already gotten the vaccines, I got sick, but I think this is going to be, like, the flu, where every year we're going to have to get a vaccine for it, because it's just mutating so much yeah. that that's the only way that we're going to be able to protect any anyone from it. Yeah, but I think, okay, if, let's, let me, let me play devil's advocate for a minute, and, like, like say the like most anti-vaxxers that say okay i mean if you're gonna get sick with like the covid like what's the point of the vaccinations you know like if the, the, the claim like um like passive immunity because mm-hmm. like, what's most anti-vaxxers they claim it's like okay passive immunity like let me just get sick and then my body <coughs> is gonna like develop immunity from it and they do have a point though don't they i mean so like for me like i still got sick but it wasn't it wasn't very bad. It was like one week of like, I had a sore throat for a whole week. And then like a couple days where I was like, pretty sick, but I was still able to like get all my schoolwork done and stuff. I wasn't in the hospital, you know? So like, if, if I was someone that was immunocompromised, or like not as healthy and young as I am, it could have been a lot different situation. And I think that's why it's so important. And people in our society are kind of like, well, why, why should I get it? But it's not just about yourself. It's about those around you. Like if you have family members that are not as healthy, like you're protecting them and you're making sure that like the reason that we have been able to eradicate things like polio, for example, from and like smallpox is because we have been able to like the virus has nowhere to go because everybody's like has protection against it. Right. Like the herd immunity yeah. idea. Okay, what about uh the cases of people that are like saying, Okay, I mean obviously there have been cases reported about uh people getting myocarditis, bricarditis post COVID vaccinations mm-hmm. or just post COVID. I don't really that's like debatable if it's the vaccine that's causing the these cases or if it's the the, the virus itself causing the cases and the COVID vaccine, if if I recall, if I remember, is is different from like uh, most of the vaccine because it's not it's not live, it's more of like a the protein. From, the vaccine is yeah the mRNA. Yeah, which is like <coughs> it's, it's technically different than like, being like the nucleic acid, but if you think about it, it's it's still how most viruses tend to replicate though inducing their their own genetic code into your human and let that so to some degree maybe is a modified version of the virus mrna but it's still the virus but the mrna just to like be clear it's not like combining with your dna right it's like just a template that your body uses to build antibodies too so yeah i mean if the if the vaccine is causing those like cases of like myocarditis and things like that, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure like how, like the mechanism that that's working, but 
I mean, it's it's more likely that it's like your own immune system. For example, like when children are vaccinated and they develop a seizure, yeah. it's usually from not from the vaccine itself, but like your body's immune response. So like most children's fever fever mm-hmm. can cause that seizure, right? Like what most of the time that kids are getting seizures, it's because their fever is spiking so high that they start seizing. Yeah. So it's probably like the same situation going on where it's like your body's own immune response is over is maybe like causing some myocarditis. I mean and I think that to some degree like autoimmune myocarditis is a possibility your body yeah. does attack your own I think that, that happens with like strep pharyngitis too, like the or the side effects um, is myocarditis because it, it basically the answers like mimic your heart cells. Yeah, exactly. It. Well, okay. Now I think we're going into like the big one, the big case that most anti-vaxxers make <laughs> about like vaccinations causing autism. Like that's like one of the major argument that a lot of anti-vaxxers make, and it's like it kind of made me wonder like where. <laughs> where did this like whole thing come from you know like misinformation you... you know right like one one like bad doctor publishes a paper that says vaccines cause autism and they disproved that they took away his license like basically like stripped him from any right to practice medicine ever again but that still like stigma stays with you, you know, or like it's really hard to get rid of that misinformation once it's been like spread. So whose fault do you think it is where you have, because part of it is also lack of trust. Because if your government says or the CDC says, well, this is not true mm-hmm. and this is the truth, like, and is the onus on like belief, is that on like, is it on the government to try and make people to believe that yeah, COVID doesn't cause autism, or is it on the person to accept the fact that COVID doesn't cause autism? Because you can see that's obviously like a trust thing there where people don't trust the government or the health. I mean, system. rightfully so. I think that like history has shown that it's not always in specific populations' best right. interest to trust the government. Right. But I think that, like, for example, with COVID, it was like, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask. And like, it was conflicting information, but I think they were doing the best that they could with the information that they had and like trying to like help to protect everyone while also they were figuring out what was going on. Right. So it's like hard. And I think that sometimes like because we're trying to like help with like, the kind of mass hysteria that's going on Mm -hmm. they like will release press of like this is this is what we generally know to be true right now but like in science you keep learning and like you might find that like i mean all of us can agree that like in 50 years from now things that are being taught to us now will have been proven to be untrue right and that's just how science is you know like the way we understand the world to work now is the best that we can do with the information and the tools that we have that's that's like someday we'll have better technology and better resources to help us better 
understand those things Mm -hmm. so like once once we find out new information it's just in our best interest to like continue learning and changing so as an individual you should be doing the same thing like do your own research yeah and when i say that i don't mean just like a google search and the first thing that pops up you know by research it can be like consult multiple physicians you know if you don't feel comfortable like with the answer that one doctor gave you get a second opinion you know yeah like use your resources but I think that there's a lot of misinformation on the internet yeah. and I don't expect everybody to be able to understand like scholarly articles and like be able to interpret what that data is because it's hard for even us to do that sometimes. Yeah. So I don't think that's the answer either. Like just reading a bunch of research papers because it might confuse you more than help you. Yeah. Okay, I'm about to use the, the typical trope in most medical shows you see where you have like a scene where a kid comes in with a mystery illness and after minutes or hours of trying to figure out what it is, it turns out to be some virus that was said to be eradicated. But then you talk to the parents, it's like they have very strong stance on like, oh, we do not vaccinate our kids. We do not believe in vaccines. Do you think that there should be some mandatory vaccination or like with certain people like especially with kids which sometimes we consider them as like immunocompromised like a mm. uh, group of people just like how with most pregnant women they advise not to take some vaccinations and they advise to take some vaccinations to protect the fetus like do you think there should be some degree of protection for kids uh where their parents especially parents of kids that, that are very staunch against vaccination, should the kid have a right to whether they want a vaccine or not? Or like, what's your stance on that? So I was rotating with a pediatrician and I kind of liked how he like responded to this because I did have a parent that was refusing vaccines for their two-month-old because they had an older child that had seizures from one of the vaccines and they did their own research. so they're holding off on it and the way he viewed it was like if they're going to public school the school requires that they're vaccinated right so it's not my i'm not going to argue with them if they don't want it then i don't push that because he wants to maintain that trust with the parents you know they're gonna appreciate it more if you're not trying to push them to do something that they don't want to do because for example let's say we did force that baby to get a, their two-month vaccinations like they should have. And then they do get a seizure. Who's to blame? Now you're blaming the doctor right. and saying that it's our fault when may or may not have happened, you know? So, like, it has to be on the parents. Like, they have to make the choice. Yeah. And if you want your kid to go to public school, they're going to need to be vaccinated against certain things, right? So usually when they're like four or five and they're trying to start preschool or kindergarten and the school refuses them because they don't have their vaccines, then we'll have to like catch them up on their vaccines. But at least then, you know, they're, they're agreeing to it and it's not us that's forcing it. Right. But I think it's, it's our duty to kind of like protect these kids. Right. So like there are certain things that like the parents might not consent to it, but we're still able to do it because 
it's saving the child's life, right? So I think it's kind of like that where it's like this is in their best interest and the parents, like, especially if they're not in the medical field. Or I, I know somebody that, like, she's a nurse and she swears that her baby died from a vaccine. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was really sad because it was, like, very sudden. They couldn't figure out why. I mean, Probably like, it was more likely to be like SIDS, but she she doesn't vaccinate any of her other children because of that. So, you know, it's like, it's her choice. And if that child grows up and decides they want vaccines, then they can get the vaccines as as an adult. So. Okay, is there, do you think there's any circumstance where, obviously I was watching the show, I forgot what it was, I don't know if it was The Resident or... I forgot what this, it was. A, it was a TV show, and one of the kid came into the hospital with diphtheria, which is like obviously very rare. And the parent was like, "Yeah, I didn't give him the Tdap vaccine." Mm-hmm. And obviously, one of the treatments you need like immunoglobulin, you know, for it, the, the toxin. And the parent was was like, "No, don't put that in my kid. Like you're poisoning my kid." But obviously, that was part of the treatment for the kid. We think that there are cases where. It comes to a point where like you have to vaccinate this kid like you go against the parents like objections <clears throat> for the safety of the kid i mean like in that circumstance i would say you have to or else the child's gonna die right and i think it's the reason it can be so frustrating is because it's like these things are like easily preventable you know like we have a simple easy so i don't want to say painless because you know like shots aren't aren't fun but they're they're really not that bad right so like a very minimal procedure not even a procedure one little shot and then you're like completely safe from getting some of these like deadly illnesses i don't know i just think it's interesting that parents like kind of would rather not go through that. I mean, it sucks to, like, have your kid be in pain from a shot, but. Okay, so now let's talk about, like, misinformation because it's part of the, the, the big reason why people are very staunch on being anti-vaxxers because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I did literally, anybody could literally write anything, claim anything, and one is going to believe them you know mm-hmm. and obviously with the whole rules on censorship you don't want to censor anybody people have the rights to their freedom to thoughts and like to their own opinion and stuff but how do you think we as obviously future doctors like what do you think we could do better in terms of like information and educating parents better on like vaccination and how important vaccination is I think part of it is like understanding where they're coming from. Like why why are you like not okay with the vaccine? Like right. what about it is is it like in the case with COVID, like the newness of it and the lack of knowledge that we have on it, that's understandable. Or is it, you know, like the multitude of vaccines because that can be easily fixed. Like you're worried that like you're getting four shots at once okay let's stagger it let's give you one shot today 
so that, you know, and then also if, if you have that, um, like, for example, that two month old, that, that's kind of where we started with them. Like, if you feel like you want to try some and you, because most likely it was the Tdap that gave that the older sibling the um, febrile seizures, because yeah. that's um, been known to do that, like in rare cases. But I mean, start off with one. And then if there's no reaction, cool, then you know, you're not going to have a reaction to that specific vaccine and then do the next one like stagger it so that one that's like less for your body to manage at one time and two then you can kind of isolate it and figure out if it's a specific vaccine that's causing that and then you just won't give any any of the boosters for that one you know Mm. and that or like whatever else is their reasoning behind not getting it like it you have to come from a place of like wanting to understand because you can't you can't just like say you're wrong you don't know anything about medicine and like try and be like you know oligarchy like this is how it is and i i'm smarter than you and i know more than you i went to school for this blah blah blah. right because that's not gonna make them change their mind and really the goal is just to provide them with the like best care that you can so you just gotta work with work with them meet them like where they're at and then work from there yes uh i guess my final like point or question though is like obviously a bit outside of vaccine what kind of related to it to some do you you know how people talked about like pfizer you know moderna like johnson and johnson made a lot of money mm. from like obviously production of vaccinations and like being and given how desperate the U.S. was to, like, ship out vaccines or get vaccines out there, they paid premium amounts for most of the yeah. vaccinations. And like, moving forward, I think it's, it seems like it's in the best interest of most of these companies just to keep pushing the vaccination mm-hmm. of COVID and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, do you think people who are in a bit of a disbelief as like, why would we need continuous series of COVID? vaccine if yeah it could be like a yearly thing like the flu but people already had like three shots and most people don't get that much much vaccination you know staggered like that so do you think it's it's more of a trying to make a profit off of the people or do people actually do you think people actually would need covid vaccine like a yearly covid vaccine or not I think it is wrong that, you know, these companies are, like, profiting off of this because it's, like, there are, there were certain, obviously, companies that kind of were in the business of making money from people's suffering during COVID and death, but I think that that is a separate issue from the issue, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, same thing with, like, Big Pharma and, like, these insurance companies, right? Like regardless of whether or not the insurance companies are making money off of insulin or not, it doesn't negate the fact that diabetics need insulin. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, that is a problem that these people are making so much money off of a life-saving drug that can easily prevent someone from dying, Mm -hmm. but they need that medicine, whether or not the company's making money off of it, or like whether it's, you know, $600 or $60 they still need it. So I think 
I think it's two separate issues and we're going to need to do like more research on COVID to see. I mean, obviously it still has like been a prevalent issue and I think it's more mild now than it or more manageable now than it was when it first became a problem because we've kind of been able to kind of figure out what what we need to do you know wear your mask get vaccinated those are ways that you can help either prevent it or lessen the degree to which you get it yeah but i think they're two separate issues i don't know what do you think i think for me obviously i'm very very anti like capitalistic nature and the monopoly like monopoly of most of the drug companies mm-hmm. in the US and how like I don't think people should make money off of like people's health. Yeah. I think to some degree like yeah you could that's a whole different conversation about like mm-hmm. the profiteering of like off of people's health is it's, it's insane. And you're right, I think most we don't know if it's gonna be anything like COVID, but I think if it if it isn't, I don't think most people should. I don't think they should be pushing it, you know, just to make a profit or just as a scare tactic to scare people into getting the vaccine if they don't need it. But we don't know. Like it's COVID is still recently new. The virus is still. We don't know what it's gonna be. But obviously, like when when we if we're gonna need another round of the vaccine, like I'm okay taking it. But I don't think they should push it. You know, as yeah. like one of those like. I just think it's funny because, like, we're so concerned about, like, what's in this vaccine, this and that, but we do things to our bodies on a daily basis that are unhealthy, and we don't think twice about what's in the McDonald's hamburger that we're eating or (laughs) or Whataburger, whatever we want to eat. You know, we we don't, like, kind of protest McDonald's for the questionable things that they do to their food. And we have no problem consuming that on a regular basis and giving that company like more money or Starbucks, whatever, whatever your vice is that you have to have on yeah. a regular basis. But I think it's just interesting the things that we tolerate not knowing what really is going on and the things that we are like against, you know? Yeah. I think one thing I also was going to ask that I kind of forgot earlier is like the, during the time when people were taking the vaccination, there was a lot of not, sh- sh- I guess you could use the word shaming people that didn't want to take the vaccine and people that are like, like using religious like exemption mm. to not take the vaccine. I think we shouldn't shame someone for making a decision. You know, I think part of the reason why like you're just going to force them into digging into their stance of not wanting to take the vaccine is if you shame someone for a decision they made. Like, yeah. if you want to convince someone to take a vaccine, like, telling them they're, like, they're stupid for not doing it. It's not the best way to go about it, you know? I think that it's definitely, like, it's frustrating, you know, if you're, especially if you're in healthcare and you are kind of someone that can, like, you can find find that information out for yourself with research. Like you can read those papers and look into it yourself and be educated on it. But if you just don't want to get it because, you know, I mean, why? It it's more like I think the thing that really bothered me was that it almost 
was more of a political thing, like Trump versus Biden of right. like who wants to get a vaccine versus doesn't. It's like I don't think that we should put our health care in the hands of politicians, you know, right. and make it about uh, an election versus anything else. You know, that's it's so weird to me that that happened that it was more of a political statement than anything else that's true i think most of the issues like that's most of the controversial issues that are not usually just straight black and white mm-hmm. they tend to go on political lines you know abortion like you know a lot of other issues like it's, it's just how it is and it kind of also creates like the whole vague of misinformation because it's like oh that's the the democrats are pushing this so yeah it could be like just a tactic of them, you know. And then there was a whole one of the craziest conspiracy I had when the vaccine was coming out recently. I think this was from a lot of religious groups. Was the whole five G? Yeah, what? <laughs> they're microchipping you or yeah. whatever. And it's like if we had the technology to put make a microchip small enough to go into a vaccine. I like mean, that. do we? Do we? Why would they? Why would the government need to vaccinate people with that when everyone has smartphones? Cell phones, I know. <laughs> You're talking about how you're being tracked when you have a laptop, an iPad. (laughs) Me, like, oh, I really want to get some new shoes. And then five minutes later, have an ad on my phone. Like, and we're worried about, like, the microchip and vaccine. Like, that makes no sense. I think most of it is People are oblivious or, like, they don't even realize, like, how much the, that are, like, smartphones, like, are controlling us. I know. It's very, very, it's just very scary talk thoughts if you think about it like when you actually dive into it and how much like from society that's like being plugged into like technology and stuff and this mm. is just going off on a tangent like how social media and everything has made us so exposed like our private information is out there and it's, it's and it's... doctors today like i don't know any current medical student that doesn't use technology right like i don't think you would be able to get through you can't you can't get a medical degree without using a phone or a computer at yeah, some point people make fun like fun of our, like our... oh like i'll have preceptors like like much older than me like oh i was always reading my textbooks and stuff like i have not <laughs> picked up a textbook my entire medical career oh, if, if you picked up a textbook it's mostly like digital you know? yeah like, yeah like but like there's stuff. there's other resources that students today use to get their education and yeah i don't think one is necessarily better than the other it's just how how we learn today yeah. is vastly different. It's I think like, it just is. I don't I don't think there's a single student that would read a whole chapter of a textbook today to get their like learning in. Especially like it's most people that read read like fictions and stuff. Like you know you're not reading a medical textbook. Yeah, so that's not fun. But I mean, I'll go if I need more clarification on a specific topic. I'll go find the chapter that and read that specific topic. But I'm right. not going to read the whole chapter just because I want to learn about it I'll I'd rather like you know have a different resource like that's gonna break it up than having to sit down and read that whole thing that's 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 very very true but yeah technology is like a a requirement I think to to be in education nowadays it's crazy I mean obviously has this like positive negatives like 
you have groups like 4chan, which is like a very conservative group that pushes like anti-vaccinations and pushes false information out there. Like the Twitter, like you could find, and that's one funny thing about like with the whole anti-vaccinations and pro-vaccines and stuff. Like you could always find an argument that supports you. Your yeah, opinion. yeah. The internet is kind of like a, it can be like a rabbit hole of like, once you get sucked into one, like, and I think part of the problem is we only discuss our ideas with like like-minded people. Right. Like you and I have very differing opinions on almost everything. Oh yeah, I think, and I, we I engage recall. in conversation. The last... and neither of us are trying to like make the other think what we yeah. think. We just disagree. Yeah, the last time we had this conversation, <coughs> like I think it was two years ago. Like it was a lot more heated than this <laughs> well and i think like your opinions have changed exactly. my opinions have changed and like me, and that's good that's what you should be doing yeah you should always be like changing your mindset i think if you're presented with new information and you don't change your opinion that's when it's a problem yeah obviously like part of it is just like when you prevent with presented with new information and this is something that i always learned growing up especially when you're be debating as a group was so debated like when you're presented with new information you have to use it and then you have to stack it against your own but it's one thing to be like able to like go through it on your own and another thing to be just like kind of like any anybody that tells you anything you just believe that and then so now you believe this and then a minute later you're like oh now i believe it like you have to kind of have your beliefs and then like you have to have the something that's like anchoring you to that belief like if you like right now you don't believe this to be like moral or good then like the next second now it's like okay like it's not good to have your opinions wavering so much but like if if your opinion now is like something different than it was a couple years ago then that's fine and i i think if you like are slowly changing your opinion then that's that's good that's yeah. what you want obviously but then that also now comes down to a lot of things like people being really like like being in terms of like people's character being malleable yeah they talk about how like people join cults you know for example yeah. and then you talk about like massive followings like i don't want to be controversial but the mangas and like well i think people... it's who you're around yeah. right like who you've been around since medical school started is like very different different so then your beliefs and mindset changes yeah I know for me, like, people I've been around have had, like, I grew up in a small, like, Midwest town. Like, people, the way people think is very different than where I am now in, like, a larger city with more diversity and different, like, different populations than what I grew up with, so. I think part of, it also makes me wonder why, like, if we are in this age of, global connection where you could i could pick up a phone now and i could connect with someone all the way in australia mm-hmm. all the way in china like learn a new language like why is that same argument about being in like your your bubble why is that still possible like why haven't we because of our connection with phone why haven't we been able to penetrate that whole bubble of people's small community and small mindedness and thinking mm. That's a good question, but I think it kind of goes back to like 
the safety and security of like it doesn't feel good when people are opposing us right mm. so like it would it's it's harder or it takes like more effort to be around someone that doesn't agree with you and like be comfortable in that like dissonance than to be like around people who are all like-minded that's right. Com- comfort right like the whole auspices them mentality mm-hmm. yeah and i think i think you're completely right i think and i think in in some degree like we we've been groomed to behave like that where we've not been exposed to a lot of like cultures and like you know mm-hmm. people with different mindsets and we tend to like you said gravitate to people that have the same thought process and yeah it's obviously like a, a huge disadvantage you know having always having the same thought process and it's 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 not it's not a it's not a good thing so like i think it's important like moving forward that we learn how to be like i said exposed to new thoughts new ideas yeah like, it's always important, like having sitting down and talking to someone with a different view mindset from you, you know, like I'm trying to understand where that person mm-hmm. comes from. Because that way, that's the only way you could literally change like someone's perspective is yeah. by having a sit down conversation and talking about their different perspective. Okay, so this has been <laughs> a really good conversation. Yeah, it's been a yeah. conversation. I always enjoy like talking to you because you have a very interesting opinion. <laughs> so thank you for. This sounds like a a diss almost. What do you mean? Interesting opinion. <laughs> no, that's interesting that's... reaction. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I meant. Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, always invited. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for listening. I hope you had. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and yeah, I'm always open to idea of like what you want to discuss, you know, it's an open forum and I'm hoping to bring on a lot more students, you know, faculty and just people, random people to have more conversations about other stuff. So thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye.